Pastor Xavier Reese and the coming judgment. You guys made some critical judgments this morning. You made some judgments whether you stop at a light, if it was green or red. And there are some absolute judgments that must be made in life for you to live and survive and to get along. Equally, the judgments that you have to make between good and evil. Now, if we have to make those judgments, how much more will God make those judgments? He's going to judge everybody for their good and their evil. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. From sports legends to presidents, legacies are important. But today, as he draws near to his conclusion of his study of the book of 2 Timothy, Pastor Xavier explores one of the most important legacies of all. Let's learn how to live in the truth of God's Word from today's Simple Truth study. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 and the message is entitled, Timothy's Final Orders. The last division of the epistle is now before us. As Paul speaks his final words to his spiritual son regarding the ministry at Ephesus. Paul began, as you know, his epistle by dealing with Timothy's commitment to perseverance through the gospel in chapter 1, verse 3 to chapter 2, verse 13. Then Paul moved on to Timothy's commitment to protection of the gospel from chapter 2, verse 14 to 317. Lastly, now Paul deals with Timothy's commitment to the proclamation of the gospel, verse 1 through 18. So you have perseverance, you have protection, and you have proclamation. Three easy ways to divide this book so you remember it. Now, Paul begins this third and last division by giving Timothy a charge according to the proclamation of the gospel in verses 1 through 5. There are four facts that are related to the charge. In verse 1, the perspective regarding the charge. In verse 2, the particulars regarding the charge. Verse 3 and 4, the perversion regarding the charge. And verse 5, the proper conduct regarding the charge. Now, the entire section centers on proclaiming the truth in the midst of error and deception, as well as the entire epistle. If you go through it, you begin with chapter 1, verse 8, chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, chapter 3, 14, uh, even 3, 1 through 3 there, it speaks about the last days, and then now chapter 4. So the whole backdrop, we even have the first epistle, the backdrop of the deception of the elders bringing heresy into the church. Some of them had denied the resurrection. There was a, a very liberal teaching. The emphasis was on law, on, on, on myths, on fables, on, on this legalism and everything else. And, uh, and Paul commands Timothy to stand fast in what the Word of God was teaching. Now, what we want to look at is to the first of these four the perspective regarding the charge, which is marked by three truths here in just verse 1, okay? Let me read it for you. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Here are the three truths regarding the perspective of the charge. First, in view of God's knowledge of all. The first portion. In view of God's knowledge of all. 
Secondly, in view of God's judgment of all, the middle. And in view of God's coming for all, the end. And you have the three truths about the perspective of this charge. Let's begin here with the first one. First of all, in view of God's knowledge of all, listen to what he says. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, the charge here is being made by Paul to Timothy, knowing that both of them had first-hand knowledge of their own, but more than that, God had first-hand knowledge better than they. God is all-knowing. Nothing escapes him, as we know. Paul was fully aware of God's perfect knowledge of his past, how he was a former blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, as well as his present commitment to God even unto death as he's going to be beheaded. And he mentioned his whole past life in 1 Timothy 1.13. God was fully aware of how much God had done to him and through him all along. But Timothy also knew how God had raised him up from Lystra and how God had brought him along to be partners with Paul and even to now take the baton. And so the whole aspect is, you know, Paul's ready to leave, but Timothy's going to be around. And that's how ministry is. When I first began ministry, I was 23 years old. When the church got started in Alhambra here, it was, I was 30 years old. Now I'm 51 years old. The Lord hasn't come back. My focus now is to prepare a young man to pass the ministry, to pass the baton. Because if the Lord tarries 20 more years, I'll be 71. Now, I could be here. But no one knows. So I prepare men for ministry. So the ministry moves on. Now the word charge means to attest or to protest earnestly or religiously. To bear witness or charge as it were before witnesses. So what he's doing, he says he's calling attention before God. So often we're caught up by man. Who is the one that hears? Who is the one who sees? He says, listen, this is between you and God. He's the one that knows everything. The word is used in the classical Greek to call a God and men as witnesses. Here he's calling the God, the only God. The word, in fact, is used by Peter in Acts in the day of Pentecost uh, as a witness in Acts 2.40. The word is used to testify of the gospel to the Samaritans, the witness of that in Acts 8.25. The word is used of Paul when he arrived at to Corinth from Macedonia and testified to the Jews about Christ in Acts 18.5. And the word is used for Timothy accountably being accountable to God regarding that Paul had introduced instruction to Timothy. So in 1 Timothy 5.21, he calls Timothy to be accountable to God on the charge that he's given him. Here again, he's given him another charge. In fact, his last charge to preach the gospel. The apostle Paul was charged in Timothy to preach the word as a faithful pastor at Ephesus. That's all he's doing. He did that in the first epistle. In fact, he exhorted him in view of the deception and to be aware that he was accountable to God in 1 Timothy 5.21. Here again, before God. But notice secondly here that the charge is in conclusion of what God already knew about Timothy, evident by the word therefore. And whenever you come across a word that says therefore, it's conclusion of what precedes it. 
This is the bottom line. And what precedes all of this? The fact that Timothy had Paul for a scriptural example. Verse 10 through 12 of the chapter. The fact that Timothy had been raised in the scriptures from a child. Verse 14 through 15. The fact that Timothy had all he needed to be equipped. The scriptures. Verse 16 and 17. In view of all this, this is the conclusion. This is the only conclusion. Since you have all this, you're accountable to God. Paraphrase, you're busted, Timothy. No excuses. This applies to each of us in principle. All that you've learned, all the years you've walked with God, there's a bottom line, and you're responsible for it. God holds you responsible. He holds me responsible. To those that much is given, what? Much is required, Luke 12, 48. We do this to our children as parents. Society does it to us as citizens. God does it to those who he gives the gospel to. The measure of judgment is always according to the measure of light one has received. And he is the perfect judge as we're going to see. Now notice thirdly that the charge is marked by the person who was witnessing the charge. The person is identified first by the title God, Theos. And so the word before simply means the one who is observing Timothy and viewing the manner and the motive of his heart. God will hold him responsible. Now notice the person, secondly, is identified by the title Lord. And the word here is kurios in the Greek. It's used in various ways depending on the context. And it's used for a master. It's used for a, one who is a possessor of something. And the supreme lordship of Jesus over the life of those who have been saved. He is the master. He is the kurios. He's the one who runs my life. And then the name Jesus is the Hebrew translation of Joshua, which is the contraction of Jehovah Shua. Jehovah Shua means Jehovah's salvation. And so the contraction, Joshua, the name Joshua, means Jehovah's salvation. And then the translation of the Hebrew name Joshua to the Greek is Jesus. So Jesus means Jehovah's salvation. Did not the angel tell Mary and Joseph in Matthew 1, call his name Emmanuel, God with us? Jehovah's salvation. Jesus identifies his humanity, a real person, the incarnation. But then the title Christ, Christos, means Messiah, the anointed of God, the one who redeemed the world. So you have his human aspect, Jesus, then you have his divine aspect, Christ, the office. So you have the God who became man. You have the God-man who is Christ Jesus. The question for some is whether the witness refers to one person or to two in the text. There are certain passages that will make a distinction and call God the Father God and others just Jesus. And sometimes it's hard to distinguish, and their, and their scholars are divided. There seems to be a strong inclination here in this passage for the witness of one person, that they are describing the same person, both from the internal evidence of the epistle and the grammar. The one who will judge and appear is said to be Jesus. The word and can be translated even. 
identifying the Lord Jesus Christ as God. And so the Lord Jesus, the one who is ever-present witnessing all and knows all unlike any man. In fact, John tells in his gospel that he did not commit himself to certain men because he didn't have any need that anybody would tell him about man for he knew what was in man. He knows it all. Augustine once was accosted by a heathen who showed him his idol. And he said, here's my God. Where is thine? Augustine replied, I cannot show you my God, not because there is no God to show you, but because you have no eyes to see him. That's good. That's good. Oh, that we were so aware as Christians that God sees all. You know who were the first to forget that? Not the non-believer. The Christian. We do and we say some things and we look around like Moses to see if anybody's looking. And we forget God sees all. Are you in a church that makes you accountable to God? By reminding you and exhorting you to be faithful in the faith? Or is our, are they nice, nice little messages that say, oh, you're okay, I'm okay, we're all okay, and Jesus is coming, isn't he? <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> Listen to Hebrews 3, 12 and 13. Beware, brethren, as there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Ooh, what a warning. A great exhortation. I do that to you every day, every time I meet with you. I exhort you. Are you fully conscious of God's presence, witnessing all that you do and all that you say? Are you conscious of that? Hebrews 4, 12 through 13 says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit and the joint of the marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him with whom we must give an account. Are you aware of the greater responsibility there is for those who have been given much. The principle is throughout the scriptures. We know that. Luke 12, 48. Those much is given, much is required. We made that point. James gives us great counsel for that. Listen to him. James 1, 23 through 25. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in the mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the works, this one will be blessed in what he does. The relationship between hearing and doing, receiving and living. You don't ever get away from that. Don't ever convince yourself that you're okay if you're not doing that. The warning is throughout the scriptures. By the way, the warning, all the warnings are not to non-believers. All the warnings in the New Testament are to Christians. You warn people that are alive, not people that are dead. You evangelize people that are dead. <laughs> All right? You warn the person who has the way to heaven that he remain on the road, that he abide, that he not be ensnared, that he not become self-deceived, 
The perspective regarding the charge was in view of God's knowledge of all. He knows everything. And we need to have that in the forefront of our mind lest we think that we can pull a fast one on God or that somehow he, he makes an exception because I'm special. No, nope. nobody's special. Just saved. Notice, secondly, it's in view of God's judgment of all, the perspective of the charge. In view of God's judgment of all. He says, who will judge the living and the dead? Notice first, the person who is to judge man is Jesus Christ. And it's marked by the pronoun, who. The word judge is the word krino, which means to separate, to distinguish, to discriminate between good and evil. Now, we live in a world that tells us to not be critical, to not judge, to not make differences. Let's all get along. Let's all be tolerant. Listen, you guys made some critical judgments this morning. You made a critical judgment when you were backing out of your driveway, whether there was someone there or not, so you can back up. If you just pulled out without raising the garage door, there have been some consequences, okay? You made some judgments whether you uh, stop at a light, if it was green or red. And there are some absolute judgments that must be made in life for you to live and survive and to get along. And equally, the judgments that you have to make between good and evil. Now, if we have to make those judgments, how much more will God make those judgments? He's going to judge everybody for their good and their evil. Make no mistake of that. Now, the New Testament, it means to judge in a way to form an opinion after considering the particular matter or the facts. So you listen, you look at the evidence, you take all the information, you take it into your brain, you assimilate it, you try to understand the relationship to them, and then you come out with a decisive decision on the best choice or the concluding uh, opinion. That's what we do every time we take information in. The context of each passage will determine whether it is self-righteous judgment or right judgment. Proper judgment. Jesus condemns much self-righteous judgment. He says that type of critical judgment in Matthew 7 should not be done. You find fault in everything like the Pharisees. But then he teaches you better make some judgments between right and wrong. You better know who to hang out, who not to hang out with. You better know who to follow and who not to follow. You better know if you're going to live in the light or the darkness. You better make some choices. Now, the son Jesus declares that the father has given him all authority to execute judgment in John 5, 27. The son is the judge. His attributes of omniscience, all knowledge, means that he knows all things. He makes him, it makes him the perfect judge. Having all the knowledge, he's a perfect judge. The attribute of omnipresence means he is all present, making him the credible and reliable witness. Nobody else needs to be present to give him information. He knows everything. He's the final authority. He's the final witness. His attribute of omnipotence means that he's all powerful. He makes himself the one who must be feared. And this is what's lost in the church today, the fear of God. And God has done an incredible work the last 25, 30 years. And somehow the fear of God has left the church to an extent. And people do the darnest thing in church while being in church and coming to church. And it's the truth to this. They've lost the fear of God. God will judge, as we're going to see, all. Believer, non-believer. 
Nothing escapes him. No stone will be left unturned. This is the way he wants you to live under this knowledge. The judgment that the son exercises is righteous judgment due to the fact that he seeks not his own will but the will of the father, the one who sent him. He came commissioned by the father. He came as a servant of the Father. He came as a representative of the Father. He said that all the time to the Pharisees. These words are not my own. The works are not my own. The words and works are of the Father. Notice, secondly, that the persons to be judged are the living and the dead. The living and the dead are a composite of every human being that has ever existed since the beginning of time when the judgment comes. The living are those who are alive when the Lord returns for his church. Some try to say that the living here refers to the spiritual regenerated, but the context doesn't lend to that. It's wrong. He's talking about those who are literally alive when he returns. On the other hand, you have the dead, who are those who have died up to the day the Lord returned for his church as those who have rejoiced in Christ there are many who have not and so you have two categories that are going to be judged those when if Christ returned right now then he would judge the living christians and he would judge the dead christians at the bema seat and we'll see this and then at the end of the thousand years as we'll see later on he'll judge the living non-believer and the dead non-believer. So it's talking about two categories of people, those who are alive and those who are dead. Those who are alive have both believer and non-believer, and those who are dead have believer and non-believer, okay? So this is literal, not symbolic. This was the message of Peter to the house of Cornelius, by the way. Listen, that God ordained Jesus to be the judge of the living and the dead, Acts 10, 42. Now, there are many people who think that they're never, never going to have to give an account to God. So they live in such a way. All you have to do is look at their life. They, they don't care who they mess up. They don't care who they rip off. They don't care how many children they have and how many wives they've had. They just do their thing. As if, you know, you've got to grab all the guts that you can because you only go around once. But they're going to have to give an account for everything. Peter, in his epistle, 1 Peter 4, 5, declares... That those who think it's strange that the believer does not run any longer with them in the world, they speak evil of the Christian. And he says, they will give an account to Jesus who is ready to judge the living and the dead. There it is again. And all three passages, it speaks about people literally alive and literally dead. That's what it's talking about. So in other words, everybody is going to be judged. Now, you want to make sure you're on the right judgment. <laughs> you want to make sure you're a Christian. Though you're still going to have to give accountability to God, but you're saved. Okay? Because it is possible for you to have a saved life, to be saved, but, have, but live a lost life. Absolutely worthless. You live for yourself. And there are many people like that in the church. They're saved, but that's about it. And that's not a way to live. You're to be on fire for God. 
is to be being used of God. Pastor Xavier Reese and the problem of living in the mire rather than in the blessing of the king. And there's still much more to come, so we invite you back next time. But if you'd like a copy of the entire study, it's available on CD for only $4. And the title to ask for is Timothy's Final Orders. Just tell us which one you prefer when you get in touch. And you can pass this study on to someone in your church or Bible study when you're through. So once again, the title to ask for is Timothy's Final Orders, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. What happens when a Christian chooses to live in darkness rather than light? That's part of our lesson on the next edition of Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Hope to see you then. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 